Hey, good, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you here. We're going to get into God's Word, but before I do that, I just want to uh, thank all of you who were a part of ShareFest yesterday. How many of you were a part of that? Thank you. Thank you all for being a part of that. We had 24 other churches in Topeka gather around our uh, public schools and other ministries in the area and uh, to do landscape overhauls and do painting and all that. I was just amazed what can get done in just a few hours when the body of Christ gathers together and does something, no strings attached. And so thank you so much for being involved in that. And next week, make sure you wear your uh, ShareFest t-shirts so that we can uh, celebrate. We'll have a video just detailing all the stuff that got done. So I'm glad you're here. And if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to finish out this book of 1 John by looking at his final eight verses of this. And so if you have your Bibles, open up here, whether here or at home, 1 John chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. And it says this, it says this, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, this is the major purpose of why he wrote this this book. You know, in his, the Gospel of John, John chapter 20, he said, I I write, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his name. And so that was all about showing who Jesus was and calling people to put their faith and trust in him. This one is for people who have already believed because they believe in the name of the Son of God. And here he goes, that you may know that you have eternal life. So if you put your faith in Christ, this message is for you because what I want to develop for the rest of the time is how you can know and live with the promise of eternal life. That's the big idea of everything I'm going to be sharing with you is God's promise of eternity brings perspective to my current realities. And that's what an eternal perspective is. It's a grid, it's a screen by which everything else passes through so that you can make decisions in your life based on what's what's here and now versus what lasts forever. And what I want you to do is to think about how can you live in the reality that you will live forever. See, the secular modern world basically says this, that you are, you, you're born and you die. And so the goal of your life is to have the most you could possibly get in between those two points. But the biblical view of eternal life is that you are born and you live forever. There is no end. You are priceless. You are an eternal person. Your soul never dies. Did you know that? Your soul never dies. And so the, the Bible is very clear on this. Even though our world tries to skew this, you will spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. And the call of scriptures is that everyone might believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Now, when it comes to eternal life, it comes to eternal life, most of us don't have the right information And because we don't have the right information, it it leads us to not really have a good imagination of what it's like. And as a result of that, we don't have an anticipation for it. So uh, I've talked to many Christians who don't really, are not looking forward to eternal life because they view it as boring. They view it as an eternal uh, church service, which, I mean, I get enough flack when we go over an hour here, okay? So I, I know that there's that picture of it. I don't want it to be 
Like all my images of church or religion or a bore or having to obey someone and you know, obey them marching orders. And so we construct a picture of heaven that's all about us. That's everything we like to do and more. And the, the biblical picture is something that we need to have clarity on. Now, to express this, let me just do an illustration. I'm going to ask you to look at the screen. And if you're at home, nothing's wrong with your television. But this center camera here, I'm just going to ask to blur me out. Blur me out. Okay, you can even go as bad as you can. Okay? All right, so when you don't have a clear picture of what you're focusing on with your life, all you're getting are sound bites. And the world will tell you what heaven is and what it's not, what to look forward to or not on that, or whether or not they believe it or not. And if you aren't looking in the scriptures and you're listening to sound bites, you're going to have the wrong information. And that's going to play with your imagination of what it's like, and therefore it's going to lower your anticipation for heaven. But when it's clear, and you can clear me up now, When your vision or your picture of eternity with God forever is clear, then you can use your imagination. And I believe that when Jesus spoke in parables, he said the kingdom of heaven is like. He's asking us to use our imagination to think about what eternity is going to be like and then to live this life in the light of eternity. And so with that, I want to give you some information about heaven. When Jesus was here on earth, he told his disciples before he left them, before he was crucified and then rose from the dead and then ascended to the Father, he said this, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And so what he's talking about is two things. There's a place called heaven, and he is preparing a place for us. And secondly, that place is also going to have his presence. So there'll never be a time throughout eternity where we won't be before the presence of God. What is the presence of God going to look like? Well, John, the same one who wrote this down in John chapter 14, the same one who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, is the same one who was given a vision of what eternal life will look like and when he gives a picture of the things to come, the end times, and then the final kingdom, eternal life with God in Christ. In Revelations, the last two verse of Revelation or two chapters of Revelation verses 21 and 22, he's going to share that. So let's look at this. He gets an image of a new heaven and a new earth, and he hears this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, let me just amplify this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And so in other words, all of us who've been scattered around the world and have our own tribe, and have our own nation, and have our own language, and have our own people, are going to be gathered with God, and he's going to dwell with us. We'll live with him forever. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. We have a new identity, an identity of being God's people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And then look at what life will be like. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So think about this with me real quickly. There will be a time 
when all the longings that you have had that have been that have fallen short of expectation, all the losses that you have had that ripped your heart out, all the grief that you've had and groanings of this life that you've had, God will wipe all those away. And in his glory, in his presence, he will go, that's so, that's so first life. Welcome to this next life. Those things have passed away. But look what else he shares. Look at chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. He says, Then an angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Okay, and so, let me just pause. It's not going to look like the Kansas River, okay? With all the herbicides and pesticides in it. It's going to be, it's going to be a clear, crystal clear water flowing from the throne of God through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. This is a literal picture of what it will look like. And and we get a picture here that God is a fan of the fruit of the month club. He is, because it says there'll be fruit with 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Now, I love fruit. I like mangoes and pomegranates and grapes and oranges. You name the fruit, I basically like it, except when I was in Indonesia and they had some really weird, disgusting fruits. But most of the fruits that I've eaten, I've loved. And this is going to be fruit. And excuse me, I'm salivating right now. So thankfully, no one's seated at the front row here. But this is something that we're going to taste and see the Lord is good. And all those things that have broken us, all the racism and discrimination and injustices, all the, the huddling for our people and our, the way we see life and the, the, me keeping a small group of friends because I don't want to let anyone else and all that's going to be done away with and we're going to be healed. Our relationships are going to be healed and we'll gather Together, as one people, the things that separated us on earth, God will reunite us up in eternity. And the leaves of the trees for the healing of the nations. What have split apart nations. And we have a long history of, of international relations that have, been, that have been broken. They will be healed because God will do that. He will do that with his people around his throne. Look at verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and the name, his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp, light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Here's where truth and righteousness and the goodness of God will reign for eternity. And, and worship will be unleashed. I mean, now we kind of think of worship as we go to church and we stand up and we sit down, we stand up and sit down and we listen for a while and then we leave. And we think that this is worship. But what heaven will be like, it will be ceaseless worship. It won't be people just gathered in a room. It will be you set apart and there will, you will have a full awareness of the presence of God with you. You will discover and take adventures with God. And you will, you will always be aware of his greatness and his goodness. And you will respond back in relationship with him. Folks, whatever you've experienced that's been great and awesome here on earth, heaven will trump 
by far, by far. And so that's why John writes this. He says, I write to these things. If you believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So how? How do we build this eternal perspective? When this is what it's going to look like, when our longings will be fulfilled, when our love, the true love that, we're see- that our hearts and souls have been seeking for on this earth will be found, when truth and righteousness and goodness and justice will reign in this new heaven and new earth and where worship will be unbounded. It will be ceaseless. It will be happening. We'll be aware and responding to the greatness and the goodness of God all the time. How do we live with that truth at the forefront of our lives? Well, let's keep reading because John's going to give us four things on how to build that eternal perspective. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, and this is the confidence. In other words, he wants us to live with confidence on this one. That we have toward him being God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So living with an eternal perspective has an effect on where our longings are. The first thing that John is going to tell us to is for you to know that you have eternal life long for it. Long for the kingdom. Jesus in in the Lord's prayer taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His disciples and the people who were listening to his teaching in Matthew 6 were worried about the food they ate or the drink that they drank or the clothing that they wore. And Jesus said, don't worry about those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We're to long for that kingdom of God. And when we talk about longing for the kingdom of God, we are to long for life as God intended it to be. We know that when God created the heavens and the earth, he created it as he intended it to be. He was in the right relationship with man and woman in the garden. He was in the right picture of creation that reflected him, that was unbroken, and that was good. Humanity was created in his image, very good to reflect him in all that they did. But we chose to walk away. In Genesis 3, the man and his wife ate the fruit. And and as a result of that, that death passed on to all. And because that, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Life right now is not as God intended it to be. And there is something within us. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, defines it as this. But if you long for a perfect life, if you long for things to be good, if you long for, for a relationship to be whole and it's broken, don't ignore that longing. God has placed that in us as part of his image to lean into a relationship with him. So church, lean into, if you know Christ, lean into a longing for him that this world could never satisfy, but will ultimately be found when you're with him in heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God. Secondly, as we look at this, Paul writes this. He says, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Think about this. 
okay? So yesterday, as I'm working at Topeka High, and I was working with Paul Meyer, and I had the hoe, he had the shovel, and I pulled in, my, my ankle just screamed out with pain, and I just groaned, and I knew I was preaching this message, so I said, oh, I can't wait for the redemption of my body. When I look in the mirror, when I look in the mirror, and I realize, where did all my hair go? I, I groan for the redemption of a full head of hair. And if you have a full head of hair in here, I, you know, I, I envy you. Okay, so that's, those are things that remind me of my own brokenness and my own frailty that ultimately, in a new heaven and a new earth, I'll be given a new body. And it will ultimately be to glorify God. I'm not going to do this in the mirror for eternity. That's not going to be who I am with a new body. But that body is going to reflect him. I'm going to be unhindered in my reflection of the glory and the goodness of God. Long for that kingdom. Church, long for it. The older I get, the more I long for it. Because I realize that someday, sooner than some in this room, I'll be with Jesus for eternity. That ought to well up our hearts. Not to be bored, Not to question, but to lean in on the scriptures and long for the kingdom of God. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is, but the writer of Hebrews wrote this. He said, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. He was talking about this from, for those who live by faith. Hebrews 11 is the great faith chapter in the New Testament. He said they long for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, since they did that, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Remember when we read in in Revelation that there's from the city of God? That's that city he's prepared for them. And when we leverage our lives and long for the kingdom and live our lives for the kingdom, God says, that's my kid. That's my kid. He's not ashamed to be your God. And so we're to live right now with the reality of what will be in the future and then to live in a way that gives pictures of that future to a watching world and even to ourselves. We need to live in a way that longs for eternity and the kingdom of God for life the way God intends it to be. I read the news, my heart grieves. It grieves because so many of those stories are not the way life was intended by God. But it helps me long. It helps me long to be part of a solution here on earth. It it helps me long to even realize that even how imperfect my picture is of that kingdom, I'm looking and I'm banking and I'm all in on the kingdom of God. Okay, secondly, now let me just talk to you about longing before I move on. This is an illustration. This is a picture of Hanauma Bay. And it's in Oahu, which is Hawaii. And um, when... My mother-in-law came to uh, Cheryl and me. She said, hey, I'd like to take the family to Hawaii. And I said, well, let me pray about that. Okay. (laughs) And so we went to Hawaii with her. It was awesome. And uh, one of the places that everyone who's gone to Hawaii has told me to go to is go to Hanoma Bay. Because, Joe, I know you love to snorkel. And I love to snorkel. Love different reefs that I can go around. See all the different fish. And I read about it. And we came to it, and I looked at it, and literally this view took my breath away. I'd never been in an environment like that. 
And we walked down this, this path and wound down to the, the Bay Area, and we had to see a video. And it was one of those classics, do not touch anything. You can look at everything, but don't touch a thing. And so I kind of went, okay, that's okay for the video. And that gave me a picture of what this place was. But when I went into the area, everything changed. I, I met the state fish of Hawaii, the humuhumu nuku nuku apua'a, okay? It's a fish about like that that swam around me. That's a, what is that? My little eight-year-old went, that's a humuhumu nuku nuku apua'a. Hey, that's awesome. And then we went out further, and my whole family is in this experience. And then we looked down, and there's a sea turtle, and the sea turtle came up, and it spoke. No, it didn't speak to us. But we had an interaction with it. It was just this awesome environment that a view to it created a longing for it. Keep your eyes on the kingdom of heaven and long for it. It'll change. It'll change your experience on this earth. And by the way, heaven's going to be far better than Hanoma Bay. I, I know that. I really believe that. So let's keep going. We long for the kingdom. That's how we build an eternal perspective. And then look at this. He says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. Now, there is sin that leads to death, and I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Let's just pause here before I move on. What does this mean? I don't know. And uh, what I mean by that is, is we know that we're to pray for a brother committing a sin, okay? But that sin that leads to death, as I've read this, scholars disagree on what that is. It could mean way back in chapter 2 where, where he said that don't love as Cain loved because Cain literally killed Abel. That was a sin that led to Abel's death. It could also mean that sin that you read of, that's the unforgivable sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, whereas the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, leads us to Christ, unites us to Christ, and leads us in the truth. And if we say no to the Spirit, then we don't believe in Christ, and that's an unforgivable sin. But John doesn't develop any of that. So it must have meant something to the church in Ephesus that, uh, and, and the churches beyond who receive this that we don't know right now. And whenever I come to a passage where I go, I don't know what that means, I have to pull back and say, but what do I know it means? And look at that first in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. So I want you to think right now, do you have a friend, a brother, or a sister who's a follower of Jesus who's not following right now? Because the call of God in this passage is that we would love them and lift them up to the Lord in prayer. Now think about that. See, the tendency, if I'm not loving deeply, when someone sins that I know, it's really easy to go, hey, everyone, pray for that person because this is what I saw them do. And we can get into gossip. Or we can be offended and we can vent to our spouse or someone who's not part of the solution. Um, We can be a part of a lot of destruction when it comes to people in our family who are disappointing us or sinning. And here, what John says is love them deeply. That's the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right? To abide in him is we believe in Christ, we love God, we love others, and then we, we obey him. And here it is. We've heard it all along throughout this whole book. 
This is the message that you heard from the beginning, John says. Where did they hear from the beginning? Jesus told it to them that they should love one another. 1 John 3, 16, he says, this is how we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And so we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Here he says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. I just want to show you the power of this principle when we love people who are not walking with Jesus right now. Do you have a friend or a loved one who knows Christ, put their faith in him, but is not following him right now? Maybe you know that they're just not, they're, they're, they're not following in his way. They're not in the truth. They're not in the light. Can you pray for them right now? It's the first thing. Outside of worrying for them, you just pray them. Think about that person right now, just in a spirit of prayer, whether here or online, I want you to just pray for them. Say, God, I lift up this person to you. You, you know what they're struggling with. I, I trust them with you, Lord. Work in their hearts to bring them back to you. Amen. So as you do that, do that, there's power in the community of believers, lifting them up to the Lord and trusting them, loving them to Jesus rather than just pointing out their flaws. And here's what God will do. He will work in their hearts and he will work in your heart as you trust people and love them deeply. Okay, so that's how we build this. And again, if in eternity we have found that love we've been searching for, why can't we live with that love this side of eternity? So let's look, and it continues in verse 18. He says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And remember, when he was talking about the world in in 1 John chapter 2, he says, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. So the things that are in the world are the desires of the eyes, or the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. They're not from the Father. They're from the world, and the world is passing away. So we're to realize that that is a real uh, a reality in our lives. This world is not headed in God's direction. And so look what he says here then. But we know, we know the Son of God has come and given us understanding. Not uh, or, or so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So we're called here to walk in the truth, to live in the truth, to be people who live in the truth. And remember, eternity will be a picture of the righteousness and the truth and the goodness and the glory of God. That will, be, that will be endless. We'll see that. So why don't we live this, this life with the light of God's truth in our lives? That's why where John would say this over and over. 1 John 2, 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. They're not living in the truth. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in whom truly the love of God is perfected. 1 John 2, 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because there's no lie of the truth. And here in verse 20, look at that. Look at how many times he says truth so that we may know him who is true and we're in him who is true 
in his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. So we're called to live in that truth. That means that we have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to discern what is right, what is wrong. And we're to live in that truth. That's why when I hold a secret and, and when I have a different life than the one I share with you here and it's not a life that honors God, I'm not living in the truth. Now, even though we all are going to provide an imperfect picture of the truth, it's still our, our aim in life to reflect the light and to walk in the light as he is in the light. And as we do that, the blood of Jesus covers us from our sins. Live in the truth. We'll live in the truth for eternity. We should be living in the truth now. And then finally, this last verse, verse 21, it says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And Brian stole this from me last week, and I'm learning to forgive him. Um, but I want to kind of develop this in a different way. He really went through a wonderful way to really think through how are idols a part of our lives right now. But I'm going to move this to, why would John call us away from idols? Because he ultimately wants us to worship the one, the one true God, uh, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. He wants us to worship the one. And, and because of that, there can't be many Jesus can't be second or third on your list. He has to be the one and only. And, and because for eternity, Christian, he will, you will worship him for eternity. All of life will be ordered around him for eternity. And, and as I look at that, that is going to be a, one of the greatest, or the greatest adventure, the greatest moments of, of uh, having joy fulfilled in your life than your ever going to experience here on earth. To understand what John was saying, I want to share with you a little bit about the city where he wrote this. Most scholars believe he wrote 1 John in the city of Ephesus. And if you've ever traveled there, it's in Asia Minor on the coast of western Turkey. And Ephesus had a wonderful, these are the ruins of its library. And its library, this was the World Wide Web at the time. If you had knowledge, if you had information, you had power and as this, this Roman cosmopolitan city was right at the nexus of major land routes of goods and, and, and trading areas and major sea routes for the Roman Empire at the time, this library was dedicated to Caesar Augustus. But the most place, the place where life was all about was called the Agora. And the Agora was the marketplace. It's like a mall on steroids. This was their Amazon.com of the day. They would go there. They would connect. You could think about all the smells and sights and relationships. All of your friends were around the Agora. You hung out there. You traded trade secrets. You formed relationships. If you were in business, that's where you converged to make the deal. But before you went into the Agora, you had to take incense and burn it as an offering to the gods. Christians really struggled with that one. They didn't want to do that. So they tried to merge around it. And, and, uh, and yet, when they refused to, they were called out and excommunicated from all these relationships that could have been their welfare. This agora had loads of different of those pillars all around with little marketplaces behind them. It was the happening place in the Roman world. But this Roman city also had 
many gods. They had 14 temples to the pantheon of Roman deities. And one of them uh, was Artemis. And Artemis was a female god, and she was the god of fertility. If you wanted a child, you would pray to her. Her temple was 400 feet long and 250 feet wide. And it was uh, a place of male and female prostitution, and it had as worship massive orgies. Okay, so as a Christian, as you saw the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, Ephesus was just a constant picture of those realities happening right in front of you. But the tallest and mightiest temple was a temple to the Roman emperor himself. At this time, it was Domitian. And Domitian was a power-hungry ruler, could probably be equated to Nero, And his temple was built at the highest point of Ephesus. And he had this platform of all the pantheon of of Greek gods all around him. And he was positioned at the very top with a 60-foot tall sculpture. This is the remains of what they found, and it's a museum in Ephesus. That hand with the arm right there, that hand with the arm was six foot tall. Six foot tall. So it was a 60-foot statue placed at the top highest point of the city. As your ship came in, as your caravan came in, you saw Domitian. And Domitian demanded every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Caesar is Lord. He demanded this, and he demanded it every year from every Roman citizen and everyone across. He thought it would unite the entire Roman Empire when they would all stand in one accord and say, Caesar is Lord, and he proclaimed himself God. John refused. He refused. And as a result, Domitian took him and exiled him to Patmos. And you could take someone physically and exile them, and it would prevent them from being as effective as they once were. So they thought he could just take him. I won't kill him because I don't want to cause so much dissension, but I'll put him on Patmos. And it was at Patmos that he saw the vision of the future, future things, and wrote the book of Revelation. So do you see now? Well, one of the last things he says in a a culture that would erupt in persecution and suffering. Why he would say, hey, little children, last thing, keep yourself from idols. Because idols were all around him. And they separated people from worshiping the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ. He would call us to do that. And so we, as people, are to do what Paul says and to look forward as we worship to the day when every knee at the name of Jesus, not Caesar, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, he said that right in the face of a Roman force that wanted to eradicate anyone who disagreed with them. Do you see that? We build an eternal perspective by longing for the kingdom, by loving deeply, by living in the truth and worshiping the one. I want you to think of your life as this container and the things of your life as this sand. And this sand represents the time and the energy that you have each day, the opportunities that you have, the friendships that you have, the careers that you have. 
all the different opportunities that you face and you're looking forward to and you're expecting this year and the next year and your future. This is your life. And when we talked about an eternal perspective, all we're talking about is having a screen on your life that as your life passes through that eternal perspective, you can discern, is it now or does it last forever? Is this just in the here and now? Is this just currently what's happening? Or is this what will last forever? And remember, church, we're called to live with this eternal perspective. The gospel was taken on the backs of the martyrs because they believed that the next life was far better than this life. And the church today, as we anticipate the return of Christ, must believe the same. This is true for all of us, whether it was the first century or now the 21st century. And so as your life passes through your eternal perspective, the things that are just part of this world that don't last forever are going to sift through. They're going to pass through. They're going to see the right perspective. And there's going to be other things that don't pass through. Things that last forever. And here, God lasts forever. He doesn't pass through because... From everlasting to everlasting, he is the Lord. Jesus Christ, the same today, tomorrow, and forever. And as your life continues to go, you're going to come across other things that have their sheer importance. Here's another one that won't pass through that eternal perspective. It's called the Word. God's Word, the the flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. We bank our lives that the word is true. It's not an error. It's not a, something the church made up. It made the church, the word of God. And then this other one, and this comes through when we realize that each of us have been made in the image of God. It's people. People last forever. And that's why at Fellowship, if you stay here for a while, you'll see that our whole church is built around these three values. God, his word, and people. And they have to be our priority. They can't be our second or third thought. They need to be everything that our church is about is about God and his word and people. And if you you do your life and make more important the lesser things in life, there's really not going to be enough room in your life, for God, his word, and people. It's just not going to be fit, not going to be able to fit. People, we are busy people. We are hurried people. Hurry is the enemy of these three values. But when we prioritize them and we put them first in our lives and everything else comes behind God, his word, and people, then we can have the things in this life that fit around the most important values, good things that can't be God things. And they fit. See that? That's the value of an eternal perspective, is that you know that what will last. And so as you leave this place, and you go to engage the routine, the schedules, things you know about and are planning for, and things you don't know about that you will be having to plan for over the course of the events of this week. Remember the things that last and live all in 
on the things that last. God, his word, and people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for showing us the truth today. Thank you for showing us a vision of what eternity will be like with you. And so, Lord, we set our knowledge and our mind on you. We set our longings and our heart and our emotions on eternity. And we set our hands to act for eternity, the things that last forever. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week.